Tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue going through our teachings in the Bible. And tonight's message will be talking about 2 Samuel, you know, and what was taking place. You know, just a little recap, you know, we talked about Moses and, and all of his warnings about getting, you know, rid of the, the other tribes that are in the promised land. You know, and then Joshua kind of followed suit and said, you know, if you follow God and do it God's way, then there's going to be blessings. You know, if you allow the other tribes to influence you, there's going to be destruction. And sure enough that that stuff happened all through the book of Judges. We see the rise and the fall, you know, of of the tribe of Israel going through, you know, all their different, you know, trials and tribulations as they have a hard time doing it God's way, so they try to do it their own way, and they kind of backslide into all sorts of crazy sins, and, you know, and and then the persecution comes, and they cry out for, you know, God to do something, and he raises up a judge, and this goes on for hundreds of years, and, you know, and, and we see what God is doing, you know, even in the midst of, you know, people that are rebelling against him, his mercy and his love is constantly moving in their in their lives. You know, in first Samuel, you know, we see the rise of the kingdom of God per se, and that the people cried out for a king. You know, and Samuel the the prophet said that was a bad idea, but they wanted it anyway. So God allowed them to have a king, you know, and King Saul was, you know, raised up. And he did well for a little while, but because of his character defects, his arrogance, his pride, his unwilling to do it God's way, his stubbornness and trying to to force his own will, you know, we see his demise and and David is kind of raised up in the midst of this, you know, and and because he's someone after God's own heart, we're going to see that in this book, that God sees what's going on on the inside of us, you know, so, you know, he knows you know, our hearts, he knows what we desire and, and that there's, you know, pride and arrogance that gets in our way. But this humility that David has, you know, sets him up for victory, <clears throat> you know, and, and Saul sees, you know, that God has, has chosen David, you know, and he gets jealous and tries to kill him. And, and David, you know, is respectful of Saul and God's anointed and he doesn't try to fight back and he kind of just runs around in the wilderness for a while and, you know, at the end of the book, Saul dies. You know, and David is kind of put in place as king, you know, and that's where this book kind of picks up, you know, as, as David kind of really stepping in to, to being the, the king of, of Israel. And, um, you know, David's a warrior. So, you know, he starts doing what God is asking him to do and starts wiping out all the other tribes that are still in the promised land. And um, one of his main goals is, is Jerusalem. You know, at this time, it's a, you know, it's a pagan city, you know, and uh, he goes in and he conquers Jerusalem and he claims it as his capital city. You know, and we see that, that David is, is, has all this success. You know, because he's he's chasing after God and he's going through all these different battles, you know, and but he starts to get his own will starts to, to emerge and he wants to do it his way, even though God's way has been working his entire life. You know, and we have these 
you know, difficulties. You know, even though David is is fighting God's battles and, and trying to unite the tribes, like this is the first time since like Joshua that the tribes are starting to kind of come together and starting to, to work together because there's a lot of friction between them. You know, and um, <clears throat> he's bringing peace to Israel for the first time in hundreds of years. You know, because he's doing it God's way and everyone is kind of, you know, puffing up his pride and saying how awesome he is. And, and, you know, you hear that a lot and you start taking some of the credit away from what God is doing in your life. And he wants to to honor God for the blessings that are in his life. And, you know, he has this idea that he's going to make, you know, Jerusalem not only the capital, the you know, the political capital of Israel, but he wants to make it the spiritual capital, the religious capital of Israel. So he's like, well, let's go get the ark. Because they kind of left the ark in a tent, and they, you know, and, you know, they decided to go get it. Well, they're a little impatient, and they're doing it his way, you know, their own way, and they throw the ark on the cart, and they start kind of wheeling it. You know, so these oxen are, are pulling the, the cart with a, the ark on it and they hit a bump and the ark decides to start to tip off the cart and one of the guys Uzzah reaches his hand out to stop the the ark from tipping off the cart and he dies because of the holiness of God you know in our sin that we can't get to the you know into the presence of God without a mediator without you know Christ in our life God's holiness you know is too much for us to handle you know, so Uzzah dies by touching the ark and they don't know what to do, you know, so they kind of stop, you know, and they kind of, at this point, kind of seek the word and they see that there's a special way that you're supposed to be carrying the ark with poles. So they start to do it God's way. They get the ark, you know, and um, they start carrying it into the city. Well, you know, they're they're really excited about what they're doing and they're offering sacrifices on top of sacrifices as they're carrying this thing into the city. And and the whole time that they're worshiping, they're playing music, they're singing songs, they're praising to God. And, and the closer they get to Jerusalem, the more and more excited David gets. You know, he's he's dancing around. You know, that's why we hear songs about dancing like David did, which is pretty crazy because if we think about that and we read the text and we, we sing that in the church, basically everybody's going to be exposed from the waist down um, because he had like an ephod on which is kind of like a, a short dress I mean which I, I think is funny you know that and he didn't have any undergarments so he's dancing around and his his boys are coming out to play <clears throat> and um, you know his wife is kind of Michael is kind of sitting up in the window and she sees that David is you know having a little bit too much fun you know worshiping God and, and she gets really upset with him and and kind of scolds him and he basically says well i'm never you know you're never going to be in my bed again you know and for the you know we don't really see her anymore and for the rest of her life you know david didn't visit her you know and you know and this is where we see a lot of corruption in david's life with the women and he starts inviting different women in well you know there's a story you know, that many of us have heard, you know, about Bathsheba, 
you know, and when you read that text, there's some really interesting things in that, that part of scripture. Because the beginning of that says that in a season when the kings would be off to war, David stayed home. You know, and to me that really hits home because there's time and a place that we should be where we should be. And when we start diverting from the plan of things that where we should be and we start doing our own thing and everyone else is kind of doing what they should be doing and we're kind of hanging back or doing our own thing, that's when trouble really begins to, you know, stir. You know, I, you know, I believe in consistency. You know, I believe in doing what I say I'm going to do. You know, it's something that God has really instilled in me. You know, and I watch people all the time as they're growing in their recovery, growing in, in their relationship with Jesus. They make commitments to do things. They make promises to be certain places, and then they don't show up. And usually trouble follows. You know, and it's so important that we we gain this principle that, you know, on Sundays we should be in church. Well, you know, my job gets in the way. Well, you know, when we put our jobs in front of Jesus, that's when trouble begins to happen. You know, well, I have to do this thing for school and I can't be here on Friday nights. That's when trouble begins to happen. Well, you know, I have to go, you know, and then we start making excuses. And the next thing you know, we're hanging out with people we shouldn't and we're, you know, we're not doing anything we're supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, then the relationships start to sneak in. And, you know, all of a sudden, the, the girl or the guy becomes the priority. And we're not going to meetings and we're not going to church. And the next thing you know, where are we? We're back running and gunning again. You know, <clears throat> so in the season when the king should be at war, David sends all his mighty men off to war. And he kind of stays home because, you know, he's the man now. Well, you know, he's kind of wandering through the, the the palace, the temple, or you know, his 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 kingdom in a sense, and he's kind of walking along the top of the roof, and it's in the middle of the day, and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the top of the roof, and at first we're like, what's this woman naked on the top of the roof? Well, that would be a time when everybody else was like in the field doing what they were supposed to be doing, that that was the time that it was private for the women to be able to bathe, and, and no one was really peeping on them. And here's David kind of looking across the kingdom and he sees an attractive woman, you know, naked in the bath. And he basically is like, go get that woman and bring her to me. You know, and she's married, but what's she to do? The king is asking for, you know, and basically David sins with Bathsheba, you know, and, and gets her pregnant. Well, you know, her husband was like one of David's boys. He's been living, you know, in, in fighting battles with Uriah for many, many years. You know, and so David kind of gets the guilt, but he tries to cover it up. You know, have we ever been guilty and tried to cover it up with a lie and, and try to okey-doke some stuff? Nah, never, not us. But anyway, <clears throat> you know, he calls for Uriah to come home. But Uriah is concerned about the, his, his friends that are at war, and David's just trying to cover up his sin. So he's thinking that if he can get Uriah home, that he'll sleep with Bathsheba, and then, you know, his sin will get covered, and, and Uriah will, you know, be the one that thinks he impregnated Bathsheba. But he's so concerned about his boys that he stays at the at the gate, you know, and, and wondering what's going on and really anxious. He doesn't really know why he's home. He should be off the battle. And so David's little plot and plan didn't work. 
has our plant, plot and plans never worked when we tried to, to make some things happen that weren't supposed to be happening? No, never, not us. Um, <clears throat> so basically, you know, David comes up with a different plan and sends Uriah back, and, and he tells him to put Uriah at the front where the battle is the worst. You know, and Uriah ends up dying. And so David thinks he's off the hook. You ever think that we try to get off the hook and, you know, and the plan kind of worked out a little bit different and probably a little bit more drastic and, and now we're kind of off the hook, but we're kind of on God's hook, you know, and so we don't really get away with it, even though we got away with it. Well, God likes talking to people and he talks to this guy named Nathaniel and he's really a prophet. And Nathaniel knows he can't just come to the, the king and rebuke him. You know, so, you know, God gives him a story to tell. And, and, and Nathan is like, hey, David, can I tell you a story? And he's like, sure. He's like, well, there's this shepherd and, you know, and he's got like one sheep and it's like his prized sheep. And then there's this other, you know, shepherd. He's got all these sheep, you know, and this shepherd kills this shepherd and steals his sheep. And David gets really upset. You're really upset. You're like, that's wrong, that's wrong. And then Nathan's like, well, that's you, what you just did with Uriah and Bathsheba. You know, and David repents, you know, and this is where we see, you know, this this message that's woven into David's life, that God, you know, he's a man after God's own heart. Because even before Jesus came, David understood repentance and sin. It does not mean that he was a perfect man. Obviously, we're talking about his adultery and murder of a, a friend of his. But he understood repentance. He understood when he sinned, he sinned against people, and he sinned against God. And so often we don't realize that when we're sinning, like God really has a you know something to say about that. You know, we think that you know oh, I, I just had a sin, and it's not a real big deal. And especially now that I got Jesus, you know, his blood covers it. His grace is good. And we make these excuses of why we do what we do and it's okay. But sin always has a consequence. You know, that the wages of sin is death. You know, and Jesus paid for our, our sin with his death. You know, and he overcame death so that we could have life. But even today when we sin, whether we have Christ or not, you know, sin has repercussions. You know, and, and, Basically, in this story, Nathan tells, you know, David that, you know, your sins are forgiven, but the repercussions of your your actions will ripple through your family. You know, and I'm not trying to scare any of us, but some of us are feeling the repercussions of our past sins. You know, and with Jesus, he teaches us how to overcome those things and handle those things. And if we stop repeating that dis- generational dysfunction, and the sins that we committed prior to Jesus, if we say enough's enough, that Jesus begins to restore us and heal us in spite of us. You know, and it's so important that we get our eyes upon God because in this moment, when we are are going through this process of coming to Jesus and, you know, we're getting sober and the reflection of our past is really just hammering on us because we've made so many mistakes and there's, just repercussions upon repercussions. There's family repercussions, there's children repercussions, there's financial repercussions, there's marriage repercussions, there's all sorts of repercussions 
that come from our lives prior to Jesus. And we have to realize that Jesus is a restoring God. He's a redeeming God. And if we sit still long enough and do things his way, he has a way of rearranging things and bringing healing to us and to our family members that we try to force it and do it our way. We just cause more damage. You know, and, you know, in this story, even though David repents, he doesn't really bring correction to his life, and it really ripples through his children. And you see that his children struggle with the same type of lust, you know, that, that David is portraying. You know, because if you, you really read through it, David had a few wives, and he obviously was visiting the concubines a couple times, two, couple, two, three times. And, and, and David had this issue with women that he never really addressed, and his sons struggled with it as well. You know, so if we come to Jesus and we bring it our addictions in, in many different ways, that we can have restoration and we can watch our children not grow up the same way that we did. Because we watch, you know, this lust in, in David's children that Amnon starts looking at Tamar, which is really his like half sister, you know, and he's like, wow, she's kind of cute, you know, and Back then, you could kind of marry your half-sister. It wouldn't have been such a big a deal, even though today we'd be like, ew, it's gross. But, <clears throat> you know, Amnon starts to lie and creates this issue where he's sick. And he's like, well, only Tamar can take care of me. Right there, I would have been like, um, something's up. But anyway, Tamar comes in to take care of him in his sickly state. And, and Amnon, you know, basically rapes his sister. You know, and she's like, don't do this, don't do this, just ask dad, dad will give me to you. And then that would have been all right, but in his lust and doing it his way, he basically, you know, defiles his sister, you know. And at that point, you know, virginity was like a big deal. You know, it's definitely not as big a deal today, but, you know, back then, a woman who didn't have a virginity, it would be considered, you know, extremely, you know, untouchable you know so she would know that no other man would want her you know and she felt you know demoralized in this well Absalom one other of David's you know sons hears about what happened and and he knows that he can't just go kill Amnon but he starts to set up this plot and assassinates his brother you know and this starts the, the ripple effect even bigger and bigger in David's family and, you know, we start to see David's demise because of his pride and because he's not really doing things God's way anymore. He's doing it his way. You know, the kingdom, his family starts to ripple and the kingdom is affected. You know, so even though this is, you know, David's sin against another man with a woman, the whole kingdom is affected. You know, and we think that when we sin, it's not affecting us. But, you know, we... You know, if we sin, our households are messed up. Our, you know, our sin, our, our families are messed up. And it's not that we're ever going to be perfect, but there's specific sins that if we continue them, it gets passed on to our kids. You know, and if we really come before Jesus and repent and start to break that dysfunction by working on our own junk, we can prevent our children from going down some of the roads that we went down. You know, <clears throat> so I really encourage you to keep pressing into Jesus, trust in his timing. Keep going through the battles. You know, 
when David was battling for God and doing things his way, even though you see all through the Psalms that David had this roller coaster of, you know, God, why is this happening? And then like, woohoo, you know, praise God. You know, we see David's, you know, emotional state, but all through it, he's got his eyes focused on God. You know, so I really encourage you as you're going through your battles and I'm going through my battles, if we keep our eyes on God, we keep trusting Jesus through our battles, you know, that even though there's great temptations in those, God's real close to us and we're real close to God when things aren't going great. <clears throat> the greatest temptation, really, as we walk with Christ is when things start to get easy. You know, and, and the blessings are far greater of a temptation than the sins. And, you know, through the years, I would be praying, and God, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? And and really, you know, getting angry and disgusted with God's timing and frustration. You know, why isn't this and why isn't that? And, you know, many years ago, God showed me that, Tom, in my grace, I'm withholding these blessings because if I gave it to you, it would destroy you. You know, and we have to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God in God's timing, in God's ways, and that doesn't mean that we don't pray. Pray for the things that you desire, but put those things at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I'm going to do it your way, in your time, and I'm not going to grab a hold of stuff that I shouldn't be grabbing a hold of before I should be grabbing a hold of it. Because, <clears throat> you know, I've been doing this a while now, and I watch person after person after person get into a job before they should have a job, and it destroys them. I see people get into relationships before they should be in relationships, and it destroys them. You know, I mean, I literally have people in jail and in prison and in the grave because they're trying to grab a hold of something that isn't theirs to grab a hold of, and they try to force it. And they find all these spiritual things to make it justified. But if it's not God's timing, we shouldn't have to force. It doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. It doesn't mean there's action that shouldn't follow suit. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. It doesn't mean there's not stuff that we can do. You know, I love the terminology that someone that I know says. says, you can't lock yourself in a closet and expect God to feed you hot dogs through the keyhole. You know, there's work for us to do. You know, that you need, you know, if it's time and you need a job, and, it, you know, it's important that you, you do what you need to do. But if you're forcing it to go get money to pay for your kids, you know, and you, you get out of treatment or you, you aren't taking care of your responsibilities or you're skipping church to get a job, normally disaster is to follow. You know, and I can give you experience after situation after situation where this is true. Well, because David isn't doing anything with the craziness that's going on in his family, it's starting to ripple effect into his kingdom. And Absalom's pretty upset that, that David didn't take care of Amnon and that he didn't, you know, stick up for his daughter, you know, David's daughter, Absalom's sister. He, he did basically nothing. He didn't, you know, try to, to punish Amnon or deal with Amnon in any sort of way or stick up for Tamar and bring back her reputation. So Absalom took it upon himself and he started basically a coup. You know, he started getting people that were, you know, you know, co-signing his, you know, his plight against his dad. He's not a good king. Look at all the stuff that he's doing. You know, the naysayers, the dissension, the backbiters. You know, and it's very important that we aren't getting around these types of people too. 
You know, they're complaining about the church. They're complaining about leadership. They're complaining about staff. They're complaining about their boss. They're complaining about complaining, complaining, complaining. That nothing is ever good enough that if we're that person, we need to go before God and repent. But if we get around those people, they have a way of really affecting our peace and our view of the bigger picture because we start listening to it and then we start seeing what they're seeing and we start to get bitter as well. It's so important that we watch for this specific sin because I've watched many people too that get something against the church or get something against the pastor because they preached something or they said something. I've seen many people come against me because I tell them it's not time for them to get into a relationship. And they're like, Tom, you know, he's the purity police, you know, he's the killer of love. You know, I I mean, the things that I've heard over the years of me telling people that, you know, you should probably wait. I don't think that's, you know, but she goes to church. I'm like, yeah, she's been there like twice. You know, that doesn't, it, it doesn't really mean she has a relationship with Jesus. Well, she has a Bible. Yeah, there's lots of people that have a Bible. Did she ever read it? You know, I mean, like, you know, and it's like we make up these excuses of why it should be okay. But what we should really be looking at is character. And so often we look at the outside and we look at, you know, and we look at the outside and we match it with our desire and we're like, this must be God. And God's like, um, I don't think so, homie. You know, and this is where leadership is so important that have, you know, been walking down the road a little bit longer than we have. You know, I tell everybody all the time and I really mean it. Like, I'm on the same path you are. I'm just a couple of steps ahead of you. You know, I mean, yeah, I've been doing this for a while now, but literally, in the in God's perspective, I've been doing this that much longer than you. You know, in the perspective of eternity, I literally have been doing this like a second longer than you have. You know, and I still have stuff to learn, but what I've learned is when I watch people get into relationships they shouldn't, when I watch people complain about stuff, when I watch people go get jobs, destruction is soon to follow. You know, and trust me, I've had my issues with the church. I've had my issues with leadership. But God always has dealt with me, and and I haven't allowed it to, to really affect me too much. You know, and you're always, no one is perfect. If you study anybody too closely, you're going to find their faults. You know, and I tell the guys that come and end up living me, I will piss you off. <laughs> I promise you. And if I'm helping you on any level, I will piss you off. And Don't yell too loudly out there. You know, and if you you look at me too closely, you're going to find a bunch of religious stuff that I don't do right. I promise you. But you know what's true? My relationship with Jesus is the foundation of who I am and everything that I do. You know, and I'm not making excuses that I'm not perfect. But if we can get Jesus to be the forefront of everything that we do, he begins to guide us through this craziness called life where if we try to follow the religious rules, we can never add up, you know, and we're never going to be perfect. And that doesn't make excuses of why we do certain things. But in reality, if we're trying to be perfect in God's eyes, we're never going to be Jesus. You know, and the reason that we have a relationship with God in the first place is because Jesus was perfect and he paid the ultimate price for us. So here's Absalom. And he starts stirring these people up. And basically he gets everybody against David and he decides, like, 
we're taking this thing over. And he starts rushing the kingdom and he's got the guard, some of the guards with him and he has like a mini little army and all of a sudden the, the city's in uproar and, and David sees it coming and David's like, I gotta get out of here. And he basically takes just a few people with him and he bounces and he's back in the wilderness again. You know, and, it, and it's funny to me, you know, is here's David in the palace. I mean, he's been running in the wilderness for like 20 years, living in caves, living under, you know, in, you know, in all these deserted places. And then all of a sudden he gets the lush life and now he's back in the, in the wilderness again because God's trying to get his attention. You know, but still David doesn't deal with the real issue with what's going on here in correcting his kids. You know, and he says, well, if it's God, you know, the same kind of thing that he said with Saul, well, if this is God and, and if he's removed me, you know, then he kind of just runs from Absalom and, and Absalom starts chasing him just like Saul did. You know, but eventually, you know, Absalom, he must have had some crazy hair crazy hair because he's riding his horse and he goes through you know a section of trees and and his hair catches him up and he gets stuck and you know pulled off his horse and he's just dangling there in the trees by his hair you gotta have crazy locks for that you know like catch me up by my beard but you know like I see some people every now and again that have that like sideshow bob hair that's just like really frizzy and just big and it's like an afro but it's not really an afro you know, like, that's what I'm thinking that Absalom had. Well, anyway, somebody comes along and kills Absalom and goes back and tells David that his son is dead, and he's just demoralized. He's just broken. You know, he sees that his family's falling apart. He sees that one son is now dead, two sons are now dead. You know, one of his daughters has been raped, and she's broken. You know, and David just, he doesn't know what to do with himself. You know, and... You know, we, you know, you can kind of see in the text that he doesn't really recover from this, not emotionally anyway. You know, um, you know, he gets back in the kingdom and he's back in the king and he, you know, he kind of gets rid of all Absalom's, you know, people, you know, but the kingdom is kind of, you know, what's going on, you know, where just prior to him sinning with, you know, Bathsheba, you know, and, and all these things happening with his kids, like things are going great. Because he's doing what God is asking him to do. He's fighting God's battles and doing it God's way. And all of a sudden, David decided to do it his way, you know, and get distracted by a pretty girl, you know. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, Israel's back in, 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 in craziness again, you know, for a short amount of time, you know. And then there's a, another, you know, plight, you know, one of his other wives and is trying to get one of his, you know, all their sons to try to be the next, you know, king in line, you know, and, you know, we see all these things where, you know, Nathan begins to proclaim about the kingdom of, of David and how the, the messianic prophecies start to stir, you know, in this and that David's line will be carried on, you know, and that the Messiah is going to be raised up out of David's household, you know, and, you know, you see, you know, these texts, and, you know, later on, you know, today we, we now see the fulfillment of those texts because we have Jesus, and he was out of David's household. You know, David was like his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. But, you know, that, you know, 
even when there's prophecies spoken into our life, and even when we see, you know, biblical texts that, you know, God's promises, you know, we still have to do things God's way. You know, and so often I see, you know, that we start hanging on to God's word and God's promises, and someone gave us a word, and we start to put that word above God's word, and we start to put, you know, other things in this priority instead of really our relationship with God, all of a sudden we start to get a little off. You know, and then you get a little off, and then you get a little more off. And then somebody tries to correct you, and then now you have, you know, a resentment, and you have some bitterness, and all of a sudden you're a little more off. And all of a sudden I need to go to a different church. And all of a sudden they didn't accept me. You know, they don't believe in what I believe. And all of a sudden you're off to another church. And the next thing you know, like decades go by, because you're trying to chase something that isn't really God. You know, because you want it to be a certain way. You know, and, you know, as I've matured through the years, prophecy screwed me up for a minute. You know, because people would prophesy over me, and I think that it's supposed to be happening like now. And what I've come to learn is that prophecy is like a little window in God's timing. You know, and you don't know when you get to walk by that window. It's kind of like the knot hole in the fence that you kind of walk by and you just happen to see what's on the other side. That's what a prophet is. You know, he's on the other side of the fence and all of a sudden he sees a glimpse in time and he shows you and tells you something. But there's a lot of things that that get added up to bring forth the fulfillment of said prophecies. You know, and, you know, there's these, this statement that you see all through Scripture, if, then, but. If you're obedient to God, then God's going to do this. But if you're not, then God's going to do that. And that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is hinged on your obedience to Jesus. You know, he is not and won't fulfill certain prophecies if you're not being obedient to Jesus. You know, so, you know, it's so important that we're focused on him through it all. You know, through our wars, through our battles, through our dysfunction, through our character defects, through every little thing that we're going through in our lives, through our money issues, through our family issues, through our kid issues, through our job issues, whatever it might be, we keep our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus will guide us through it. Is it going to happen the way we think it is? Thank God it doesn't. Because we project some of the worst things upon ourselves, don't we? Like, we want to be in control, but we want our lives to be this utter destruction. We think that God is up there just trying to smite us with his almighty smiter. You know, and it's like, if we're not perfect, then God's not going to do Well, no, God's going to do what God wants to do, and it has nothing to do with our being perfect. It has everything to do with us pressing into Jesus and repenting of what we need to repent and being a man or a woman after God's heart to do God's things, God's ways, and God does cool stuff. You know, I've watched him restore men and women that have been coming you know, that have come out of just crazy destruction, crazy depression, crazy anxiety, crazy addictions, you name it. I've watched God start to restore people that start doing things God's way. You know, and, you know, it's it's so important that we are doing things God's way. You know, whether you're coming here on a regular basis or you're going to, you know, church on a regular basis, if you're not doing things God's way, you're going to get real frustrated with God real fast. You know, and things aren't going to be moving as fast as you think, and you're going to want to help God, and you're going to get distracted by sin, and next thing you know, you're going to be knee-deep in your past again, and you're wondering, why did this happen? I was loving Jesus. 
and I was behaving myself to the best of my ability. Well, yeah, you know, it's important for us to love Jesus and behave ourselves to the best of our ability, but it's God's will, God's way, God's time. You know, and if we get those things out of perspective and we start pushing our way, our will, our time, destruction is soon to follow. I, I promise you that because, you know, we watch that in Scripture. We watch that in David's life. You know, and where he had everything, and then he had nothing. You know, and, you know, he ended his life, you know, still as the king, you know, of Israel, but, you know, he really lamented over the decisions that he'd made and what happened with his kids. And, you know, and you see, you know, a broken man, you know, that had everything, and he he lost a piece of himself when his children, you know, sinned in the way that they sinned but you know i will say that his heritage was passed on to solomon and you know and then there's another chapter and there's a great you know beginning of solomon's life and we're going to talk about that you know in the weeks to follow you know so it's so important that we see god's mercy and his grace woven into this story in spite of the situations that have happened in, in david's life that God's story continues through David's line. You know, and we have to be, you know, focused on Jesus because we've all done a bunch of stupid stuff. And some of us in here are really facing some consequences that we're like, this is never going to change. I promise you it'll change because God likes to change stuff. He's a miracle working God, but he works on his timing and he works in his ways. And there's things that we're like, why isn't God doing this? Why isn't this happened, and this is, and then we start thinking it's never going to happen. And look at how bad a sinner I used to be, and therefore I'm going to be cursed forever. But Jesus took upon the curse upon the cross, and we have to constantly remember that you know dysfunction can be healed when we start doing things biblically, living according to the Word of God, living the way that Jesus is act, asking us to be, being obedient to the Word, being obedient to the Holy Spirit to the best of our ability, having relationship with other Christians, especially some leaders, not that the leader is there to control you, but they're there to slap you a couple of times when you start to get crazy. You know, <clears throat> you know, to me, leadership is like the bumpers in the gutters when you're playing bowling. You know, and we're little kids, you know, we're born again and we're starting to learn how to walk. And, you know, we, we start to take a few steps and we smash our face into the coffee table. And, we're like, and it's like, well, you're trying to run and you should be crawling. You know, but we want to be full on spiritual Christian adults and we're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I barely can drink of the milk. You know, and it's like we have to keep in perspective that most of us were just born again. You know, should I, you know, go into the hospital and find a newborn baby and start screaming at it because it doesn't know how to drive a car? That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, well, you should get out of this crib right now and start running. Like, no, like we need to give ourselves a break sometimes. And realize that we're spiritually babies. You know, even though we might be adults in our, our bodies, our, our brain and our spirit is just a little baby. You know, and we have to begin to, to go accordingly. You know, and keep ourselves in check. Because so often we want to run ahead of where we are spiritually. And that stuff begins to, to fall short and, and we get really crazy. You know, so, you know, it's important that we are learning how to trust in God's timing, trust in God's ways, you know, and learn from our mistakes, learn from other people's mistakes, so that we aren't continuing in the same cycles over and over and over again. 
you know, you know, but we see at the end of Second Samuel that David's reflecting, you know, most of, not most, but a lot of the Psalms were David's writing, you know, he worshiped a lot, he practiced with the lyre and, and other, you know, instruments, and, and he's reflecting over what God has done in his life, you know, as the torch is about to be passed. You know, and it's important that we look over our lives too. You know, it's not that we get stuck in the, the bad decisions that we used to make, but how are you doing today versus the first day you got sober? How are you doing today versus the first day that you got saved? I would care to say that everybody in this room has grown some. You know, are we exactly where we want to be? No, I'm not. Are you? No, we're not. There's things that need to be accomplished. There's things that need to be changed. There's things that need to be redirected and healed. You know, but if I look at the man I was when I first got sober, I'm like light years away from that guy. You know, I look at the man that I was when I first accepted Jesus. I'm a completely new creation. Like that person and I aren't even the same. You know, our name is the same, our DNA is the same, our skin is the same, but what's going on on the inside is not the same. You know, so it's important that we reflect every once in a while. That's why anniversaries are good. You know, you know, whether they're yearly anniversaries or monthly anniversaries, you know, I, I like, I have all these seasonal things. You know, I, I always used to know where I would be when I was partying. You know, where are you at New Year's? Wasted somewhere. Where are you at, at Valentine's Day? Wasted somewhere. Where are you at St. Paddy's Day? Wasted somewhere. My birthday is in June. Where were you? Wasted somewhere. Fourth of July? Wasted somewhere. But you always kind of remember those moments because even though I was wasted every day, you kind of celebrated a little more and got a little crazier on those days. So there's, you know, memories that are attached to holidays and birthdays, you know, and so for some of you that are new doing this, where were you last 4th of July? Where were you at New Year's? You know, where were you at St. Patty's Day? You know, some of you, I would care to say, were in some pretty bad places. You know, and today on a Friday night, you're sitting in a purple chair listening to me talk about Jesus. You know, so things are moving up. You know, where will you be next 4th of July? I don't know, but if you keep down this path, I would care to say no matter what your circumstances are right now, most, if not all of those circumstances will be completely different and better a year from now if you do things Jesus' way. You know, so it's important that we reflect sometimes, you know, because it helps us to see our growth when we, we don't feel our growth. You know, like, where was I last week? Like, oh, everything still sucks. Well, yeah, but if you look back a few months, you'll see how you've grown. You know, and I call it, you know, the puppy syndrome, you know, or kitten syndrome. You know, like you, you get the kitten, you get the puppy, you know, it was a certain size when you got it. But now you see that puppy every day and you don't notice that it's growing. But somebody that was with you when you first got it and comes over in a couple months, you're like, wow, that thing's growing. You're like, really? I didn't think it's been growing. I wasn't even sure if it was eaten or not. But <laughs> it grows. So when... We reflect upon where we were just a few months ago. We can see how Jesus has been growing in us. And we're handling things better. Our, our minds are getting a little bit more clear. Our relationships are getting a little bit better. We're not making some of the mistakes that we used to be making. Just in a short amount of time of, of following Jesus and staying sober. 
So it's important that we reflect. It's important that we look at some of the dysfunction and try not to repeat some of these cycles. You know, I encourage you to trust Jesus with your money, your jobs, your relationships, your kids, and, and just keep pressing into him and do what he's asking you to do. You know, and you'll watch how he brings restoration to your life, to your kingdom, to your families, to your kids, to your finances, to your body. You know, and we have to believe in this God who loves me enough to restore every aspect of my life. However, I have to trust in his timing and I have to trust in his ways. So I just really encourage you, no matter what you have going on right now, just keep putting that stuff at the foot of the cross and saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. And you may have tears rolling down your cheeks when you're saying these very words because everything inside of you is not trusting Jesus. You wish Jesus was actually here so you could choke him. But the truth of the matter is, is if you trust Jesus, whatever situation you have, he's going to get you through it. And you will be amazed on how what you were projecting, what you thought was going to happen, doesn't really ever happen. And as you trust in Jesus, that he has something so much better than you could have ever imagined set for you. Would you just bow your heads in me? <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing in each and every one of our lives, Lord. Help us to continue to learn. Help us to apply your word to our lives. Help us to learn from our past mistakes. Help us to learn from other people's mistakes. Help us to be humbled enough to be teachable. Lord, help us to take care of our responsibilities. Help us to repent of what we need to repent of. Help us to be men and women after you, Lord, and your heart. Lord, that we understand that we are broken sinners, even with Jesus, and that we need to repent on a regular basis of constantly trying to force our will in your name, Lord, and Help us to believe that you have great things in store for us if we would just surrender to your way in your time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.